we are in this season reflecting on um, some of the, the false visions of God that we have and how Scripture calls us to correct them. And last week we talked about the a vision of, of sort of an angry God. This week we're going to go completely in the opposite direction. We're going to talk about the vision of God as kind of the indulgent grandparent, right, who will let you get away with anything because they just love you so much. Uh, and I think this idea, this vision of God as, as sort of the God who will let you get away with anything, doesn't matter what you do or what you say, comes out of really a, a deep-seated understanding in our culture of the nature of love. So I would say, maybe this is more simply than some folks would articulate it, but I would say that in our culture, there's a syllogism, right? There's this idea that love is acceptance and God is love, therefore God is acceptance, right? Love is acceptance, God is love, therefore God is acceptance. And uh, without a doubt, uh, it's clear uh, that acceptance and love are connected in some ways, but I'm a little bit concerned about this premise that they're the same thing, uh, that love is acceptance. Uh, so I had a conversation this week with a college student and his parents. This was not somebody in our church. Don't worry, you don't know who this is. Uh, and uh, this college student is a senior uh, near the end of their college career, and they have a desire to be pre-med, right? They want to go to medical school afterward. And so being pre-med isn't usually a major, but there's a whole bunch of classes you have to take to, to get into medical school, right? And this student has taken and passed most of those classes, but he's had a really hard time with one that isn't usually a roadblock for most people. Uh, and that's a, whatever it's called, it's the human anatomy class, Okay. Uh, and so this student took the human anatomy class a, a couple of, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, and it didn't go well, okay? And uh, this was one of those classes um, where the final exam was like 75% of your grade. So took the final exam and uh, did not pass. Uh, this student went back to the professor and said, hey, is it possible that I could take this again? And the professor, being a really understanding person, said, you know what, anybody can have a bad day sure, you can take it again, which doesn't happen a lot in college. Uh, and so the student took it again, and they failed it again. So they went on with other classes. They came back a semester and a half later, and they said, you know what, we gotta, I got to pass this class. So they took um, this anatomy class with a different professor this time and got to the end of the class and took that final exam and failed it. Uh, and then they went to the professor, and they said, please, you've got to let me try this again. And again, uh, unusually, the professor allowed them to try it again, and they failed it a fourth time. And then um, they went to, um, the, the parents got involved, and they went to the dean, and they said, hey, there's got to be some way to make this happen for our son. And I don't know how, this is like kindness that doesn't usually happen in the world, but somehow they got uh, the opportunity to take the exam a fifth time with a third professor, and they failed it again. So this family's talking to me about this journey, uh, and they said to me, uh, Jim, it's just so clear to us at this point that there's something wrong with the test, right? <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction too. Uh, and they said, you know, we just think that the test needs to be waived or changed because our son has passed all these other classes, 
right? And, and clearly, he has this desire and, and calling, maybe even a calling from God to be a doctor. And, and so, you know, if, if the test was fair, he would have passed it, right? And, and I, I had two thoughts at that moment. My first thought was, you are so going in my sermon on Sunday. Um, <laughs> uh, but my second thought was, you know, the, the reason that we have these tests is because when I go to my doctor or, goodness knows, my surgeon, I want to have a, a strong sense of confidence that they know everything they need to know to take care of me, right? I don't want to go to a surgeon who's a little confused about the difference between a kidney and a liver, right? Um, that's not okay. Uh, so, I'm actually thankful um, that there are tests that uh, allow us to have that discernment. And, and at some point, I think it is more loving to say to a person, hey, this might not be the course for you, the direction for you, than it is to say, hey, we'll just waive all the requirements and pass you through. Are, are we together? Yeah. Um, maybe you heard last night my Duke Blue Devils won a basketball game and are in the Final Four, and I got to celebrate now because I never know what you're going to get uh, afterwards. So uh, I've watched Coach K um, on the sidelines with his players, especially, you know, after a timeout when things aren't going well. And I've noticed he never says, you guys are doing your best. Just keep your chins up. It's going to be okay. No, if you watch him, he's screaming at them, right? What the heck are you doing? Why aren't you getting back on defense? Why aren't you keeping your eyes open? Et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, there's a reason he's won so many games, right? His teams have won so many games. That's what great coaches do, right? They push us to do better. They don't accept us where we're at. And, and, and I think this is true across almost, um, almost every aspect of our lives, right? Uh, imagine a marriage that was rooted um, with love as acceptance. I don't care if you are kind to me or not. I don't care if you're faithful to me or not. I don't care if you're around or not. I just accept you the way you are. Imagine a working relationship where your employer said, I don't care if you come to work or don't come to work. We just accept you like you are. We're going to pay you no matter what. That, that sounds nice um, if you're the employee, maybe. Um, uh, imagine if you went to your doctor and they said, you know, it's really up to you whether you want to smoke or not smoke. I mean, whatever floats your boat, doesn't matter to me. So, you, you've heard this from me many times before, but I think this is such an important idea. Uh, I believe that love is not acceptance. I believe that love is wanting good for another person, even at expense to myself. Love is wanting good for another person, even at some expense to myself. Sometimes that manifests as acceptance. Sometimes that manifests as challenging someone to be different or to be better because I know what good looks like for them and I want that for them. So, uh, Scripture describes God uh, in this context in a really interesting way. In this passage in uh, Exodus 34, we're, we're told that God is a jealous God. In, in fact, the Scripture says um, the Lord, Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That's such an interesting line, right? God's name is Jealous, and He's a jealous God. I think we think of jealousy primarily in a negative way, right? We think of it as a bad thing. But, but I would argue to you that jealousy, like anger, is good or bad based on the situation in which it's used. A parent um, who sees her child drifting into self-destructive behavior and fights to bring them out of that addiction 
or that situation or that relationship is jealous for their child. A spouse who sees their um, husband or wife drifting into another person's arms and fights to win them back is jealous for their spouse. The people um, we're watching on the news every day of Ukraine who are fighting for their country uh, are, are jealous for their nation. That kind of jealousy is really good. That's the kind of jealousy that God has. God says, I know what's good for you, and I want that good for you, and I'm not willing to accept less than that. I'm not willing to accept less than good and life and grace for you. Jesus is an interesting example of God's jealousy because Jesus' jealousy manifests in, in, in a kind of a unique way. Jesus is, I think we would argue, maybe the most inclusive person we see in the entire Bible in terms of His relationships with people. He has time for people that no one else has time for, and He'll speak to people that no one else will speak to, and He'll touch people that no one else will touch. But He's also maybe the most exclusive person in the Bible when it comes to His theology, right? He is 100% certain that He knows what's good for us, and He won't let us settle for anything less than that good. So, we get this really interesting line, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Okay, uh, Jesus, again, sort of the master storyteller, has some really important little details in this story that we got to pull out real quick, okay? So first, I hope you notice that there's a gate and then there's a road. That's really important because sometimes we think of this in the other way. We think there's a road and then a gate, right? We think, okay, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to follow the rules. I'll make all the right choices. And at the end, I'll go through the gate of eternal life. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says there's a gate, and after the gate, there's a road. The, the gate is a choice. R really simply, the gate is a choice. Um, will you choose to go through the way of Jesus, through the person of Jesus, onto a road of a life like His, or will you choose to go through the gate that everybody else goes through, the gate of convenience and ease, and a life that feels really good and comfortable until it comes to a terrible end? Not you earn it by doing it, right? but you make a choice to trust Jesus, and then you go where He tells you to go. Uh, John Calvin says this is a particularly challenging passage because it takes so much courage to walk the narrow road. Calvin says, the small numbers of the faithful make many cowards, for it is hard to induce us to renounce the world and to pattern our life upon the ways of a few. In other words, he says, we look around us and everybody seems to think that happiness will come through making enough money and, and marrying the right person and having perfect kids and having a job that we enjoy and that if we just do those things like everybody else is trying to do, um, it's going to work out great. And Jesus says it's really easy to go down that path. It's an easy choice and it's an easy road. But in the end, those things which are all good aren't enough. 
it's really scary to say, hey, um, I may have to look different from everybody else. My family might look different from everybody else. My marriage might look different. Uh, the way I work might look different because I'm on this narrow road that Jesus calls me to walk. Um, by the way, this isn't like a new idea for us, right? Um, we know even in our physical lives uh, that it's the easy road is often not the right road for us, right? I, um, given my druthers, would probably eat at bricks every day, right? Uh, and I would drink sweet tea with every meal, and I would never exercise, and I would watch TV anytime there's a basketball game on or a football game on, which is a lot of the time. Right? Um, but, but we know that doesn't lead to life, right? We know that exercise and uh, good food and rest and healthy relationships are what we need, but it takes more work, right? And the world's going a different way, and sometimes it's easier just to go with the world. So as Christians, sometimes we say, okay, I, I realize that Jesus is the way. I need to go through that narrow gate. Um, but the world's pattern is so attractive, what if I just try to do both? What if I just try to do both? What if I, I give lip service to Jesus, um, but then I, you know, in most of my life I go about the way everyone else goes about? Jesus talks about this, right? In this passage, He says, hey, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. See, I, I think part of the challenge for us uh, is it's not enough simply to say, I want to follow Jesus, then we actually have to follow Jesus. Uh, and, and it's easy for us in our world and in our culture um, to put Jesus in our life, but not base our life on Him. Really, a, a simple question it comes down to whether Jesus in your life is the foundation or a decoration. Because if Jesus is the foundation and you move Him, uh, everything falls apart. If He's a decoration and you remove Him, you can kind of get along just like things were before. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Two or three Sundays ago, um, we got rid of the pulpit and the lectern. Anybody notice? Yeah, okay. And you're kind of wondering where they went, right? Uh, we, we got rid of them, honestly, just because we wanted to be able to see people better. And it, I don't really use the pulpit at all. And we kind of like the open look. Um, but I'll tell you, I had maybe three or four conversations with people over the last two and a half weeks about the missing pulpit and lectern. But not a lot of conversation, um, now, I hope that if next Sunday you came in and the cross was gone, I would get a lot of conversation. Right? Why? Decoration, foundation, right? So, which is Jesus in your life? Because it's easy to say, hey, yeah, I go to church and I sing the songs and um, maybe sometimes I, I do extra stuff. I go to a Bible study once in a while. Um, but outside of that, um, Jesus doesn't show up that often, right? I love you, but He's a decoration in your life. Or um, are you unable to escape Him? Does He under, um, 
support and, and live under every single relationship and conversation and moment of your life, then that's a foundation. Jesus goes on to talk about um, foundations. Uh, he says, uh, the wise man builds his house upon the foundation of me, of my teachings, of Jesus. The foolish man builds his life on something else. Uh, and, and Jesus does a weird thing here. He ends with kind of a negative illustration. And I don't know if you noticed this, but he, he ends his sermon um, with the story of the man who builds his house on the sand and that house falls down and great was its fall. And I would love to be able to come along and say, Jesus, hey, I know, yeah, you're the Son of God, but I've been preaching longer than you have. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Never end your sermon on a downer, okay? Jesus, you've got to be positive at the end so they walk away with some great feedback. Um, but it's possible, just possible, that Jesus knows what He's doing here. Um, it's possible Jesus recognizes um, that this is, this whole life is kind of a kind of test. And as much as He loves us and wants us to pass, He won't force us through the finish line. Uh, and it doesn't matter how good we are at other things in our life. It doesn't matter how much we've excelled in other relationships if this relationship is empty. And you can take it a bunch of times, but at the end, uh, whether you pass is going to be based on whether or not you know and love and live with this man named Jesus, whether you made a decision to root your life in Him. Uh, one of my favorite stories uh, that you guys have heard before, I, I'm um, trying to retell it regularly in case you haven't, um, but one of my favorite stories is about a guy named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a famous figure in the mid-1800s in America, uh, and Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. Uh, he was the tightrope walker, and he was famous um, because he regularly did a tightrope routine over Niagara Falls. Remember this? Yeah? Okay, a little bit. Uh, if you don't know the story about Charles Blondin, just an amazing guy. I mean, he walked, walked a tightrope over Niagara Falls. I mean, that's impressive. But then he would do all kinds of other weird stuff, right? He would walk a tightrope blindfolded over Niagara Falls. Um, he would walk the tightrope, I'm not even kidding, and he would take a three-legged stool, he'd get to the middle of the tightrope, he'd put one leg of the stool on the tightrope, and then he would sit on the stool. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, he would, uh, near the end of his routine, he'd take a wheelbarrow, and he'd push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And he'd come back and he'd say, hey, look at that sack of potatoes. It weighs like 150 pounds of potatoes. Do you think I'd put that in this wheelbarrow and, and roll it across the tightrope and back? And everyone would say, yeah, clearly you can do anything. Go do it. So he would. And he'd come back. And there, that's amazing. He'd say, okay, take the potatoes out of the wheelbarrow. Do you think I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and roll them across the tightrope? And they said, oh, yeah, you can do anything. And then he would say, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Yeah. <laughs> that's what faith is about. It's not about believing that Jesus can make it across the tightrope. It's about getting in the wheelbarrow with Him. It's about saying, I want my life to be based, to be rooted, to be founded on His life, on His teaching, on His death, on His resurrection. Uh, and I'm not going to give Him just lip service. Um, I don't want Him to be just a decoration. Um, I want to make that choice to walk through that narrow gate no matter how hard the road after it might be, trusting that He's the only one who can get me safe to the other side. 
So I, I don't know where you are today in your life and your relationship with God, but I want to invite you uh, to pray with me for a moment and reflect on that invitation of Christ that He offers us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for uh, His incredible uh, calling on our life. We thank You that, that You and He are jealous for us, that You desire only good for us. And even at an expense to Yourself, You will pursue that good in our lives. We thank You, Lord, for uh, the invitation today uh, to enter through the narrow gate, to choose to follow Jesus, no matter how hard that road might be afterwards. So, Father, I, I want to take a moment and um, give anyone uh, here who has uh, that decision on their heart, who maybe has never decided uh, to walk with You, who's never decided to go through that gate, Lord, I want to give them the opportunity right now in the silence of their own hearts to say, Jesus, I want to follow You. I want a God who won't accept me as I am, but loves me enough to make me better. I want a God who would risk His very life and, and give up His very life so that I could have life with Him forever. There's no magic words. Uh, there's no secret sign. Uh, Lord, all You ask is for us to choose to walk through that narrow gate with You. Father, I also want to pray today for those uh, who perhaps have made that choice in the past but, but want to recommit themselves and their lives to You, who want to recommit uh, their hearts to You, to say, I, I don't want to be a person for whom my faith is decoration. I want Jesus to be the foundation. I want to get back in the wheelbarrow. Uh, and so, God, I pray that uh, for each one of us tonight, we might have uh, a, a moment now just to say, Jesus, uh, Jesus, I want to move you back to the center of my life. Whatever I have to move away, whatever cost that might be, Jesus, I want you at the center. Father, we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers. We thank you that you're a God who invites us into your story. And we thank you that you're a God uh, who never stops pursuing us, who is jealous for us to the end. And we pray, Lord, that we might have the privilege of living our lives in the same way that Jesus lived His, uh, that we might walk that, that hard road and together find life. It's in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.